So we continue with our examination this Lord's Day morning of these uh, verses, these three verses, and, and what they speak to us about the marks of growing in grace. The marks of growing in grace. And the three, as it were, age groups that are given, the babes in Christ, the young men in Christ, the fathers in Christ, and that it's important that we go from one level to the next, we go from one stadium, one area to the next, that we wax in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord desires fruit, good fruit, fruit that is pleasing to him, the fruit of the labors of Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection. It was not that somebody um, would merely claim to be a Christian, have made a decision for Christ. None of it. There must be fruit of a true born-again work in the heart of a believer. If they're truly born again, they will bear fruit. For by their fruit you shall know them. You'll know that they bear fruit. Now, the fruit might be small, but is there fruit? We're not going to go into a whole uh, sermon on the fruit of the Spirit at the moment, but you must bear fruit if you are born again, if you truly believe it will happen. If you claim to be an apple tree, you will bear apples. You will not bear thorns. You will not bear other things. It is in the nature of an apple tree to bear apples. And as the Word describes to us, it is in the nature of a born-again believer, a born-again Christian, to bear fruit of the Spirit. Now, the more diligent the believer is, the more obedient the believer is, the more diligent they are in coming under the means of grace, the more diligent they are in seeking the Lord, in following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ, the more they grow, the more fruit they may bear. And it's not about a competition between one person and another, for that would be a fleshly fruit. It is about a spiritual fruit that we personally, by the Spirit of Christ indwelling in us, would bear fruit. And why must we bear fruit? For our testimony to the world? Yes. For the encouragement of our fellow believers? Absolutely. But thirdly, because Christ deserves it. Because Christ lived, died, and lives again. He suffered greatly that he would have a people bearing the fruit of his work and the work of his Spirit. He deserves it. He deserves us to humble ourselves before him and come under the means of grace, the public means, the private means, the praying, the preaching, the reading, the humbling ourselves under his word to give him all the glory, that we would decrease and that he would increase, that we would boast of him and not of ourselves. Because you can only boast about one. And if you're boasting about you, you're not boasting of Christ in so many different ways. But the marks of growing in grace that we saw in verse 12, just very briefly, so that first point was the childlikeness of the Lord's people. 
the childlikeness of the Lord's people. And we saw firstly that the trust of babes in Christ, the attitude that there is in those that are babes in Christ. We understood that, 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 that we are to come to the Lord, and in fact we come to the apostle of the Lord as young, hungry, expectant, trusting children. He calls us repeatedly little children. That's not because he's arrogant, but because he has a father's love towards those whom he writes to. He has a fatherly love and tenderness. And what does the fathers do? The basic role of the father is to protect and provide. And that's exactly what John is doing. He's protecting us with true doctrine against false doctrine. He's, he's protecting us with speaking of true faith as opposed to false faith. And he's providing this food for our soul. We've already looked into that. Then we looked at the doctrine of faith, which is really at the heart of what he's speaking of in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. It is the faith, our trusting, like little children, in the work of Jesus. Trusting in what his word says, and every one of his words. We know that, as I mentioned, we know that adults can be cynical, stiff-necked, and judgmental. And that is not the attitude that we are to have towards the Lord, and certainly not to the Lord's word. For we believe on him. And if we do not believe on him, where is the fruit of saving faith? The fruit of saving faith is the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of your sins because you believe in the only begotten of the Father. You believe in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we saw something of the knowledge of the Father. We saw that toward the end of verse 13, because he says, I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. So all must enter the kingdom of heaven as little children with that childlike attitude to be what? to become the children of the Father. There is a reason for these things. And the more you understand the Scriptures, the more you delve into the Reformed faith, the more you realize these are not just separate pieces that make up a religion. These are connected parts of a whole, and I'll tell you that whole is the eternal covenant of grace. But as we go into the details of it and understand it, everything that's connected with it, it's all connected. The virgin birth, absolutely necessary. Christ's death on the cross, absolutely necessary. And those two things are connected. But we're not examining that today. And so becoming a true child of God is becoming a true child of uh, the Father. And I mentioned then, as we came to the end last week, what do children in the faith need? They need godly fathers. They need godly fathers in the faith. They need a pastor. They need godly examples in the church. They need mature fathers in the faith. All children in, in natural life need a mature father. A mature father. A mature and loving father. A warm father. But a mature father. Not as the fathers are being brought up these days to, to spend all their time on uh, gaming, on teenage pleasures, shall we say, 
which doesn't have to be in the church, that sort of teenage pleasure, by the way. I'm not, not encouraging our teenagers to get involved in gaming by any means. It's an addictive thing, very addictive. But fathers do that. Grown men do that. Because grown men in today's society are being infantilized. And we won't go into that word. I'll promise not to use big words like that again. So let's go on to our second point, which is the growth of spiritual fathers. We've seen, firstly, the childlikeness of the Lord's people, but secondly, the growth of spiritual fathers. So, what he's speaking of is the need of saving grace to become children. Secondly, he speaks of fathers are to be ripening in grace. He speaks of fathers first, so we'll look at fathers. We might think we'd go children, then young men, and then adults, and that's true. We could take it that way, and it would do no damage to the text. I'm just reading it from the text in that order. In verse 13, then, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So having just mentioned about fathers, mature fathers, families need mature fathers. They need strong fathers. Families need strong spiritual fathers. The church needs mature spiritual men. We need them but they are not to a penny. They are not as common as we would like them to be. So much so that when we read the marks of, of he who is to become an elder, we read about grace. And we read that in our call to worship. The call to worship we saw in 1 Timothy in chapter 3. He says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that is the overseer, the elder, whether that be a teaching or a ruling elder. Then we get a whole list of character traits, not abilities, not works. In the whole of this list of a man who is to become a minister of the gospel, we see, we see gracious character trait upon gracious character trait that we're looking for men who are mature in grace, that have grown in grace or are still growing clearly in grace. And see, all these things, a wife of one man, uh, sorry, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, that is generous, and, and all these other things about his character. He must have grace upon grace upon grace. Only one gift is mentioned. Only one gift. Of course, all graces are gifts. But in the sense of what practical gift is said, um, apt to teach. He must be able to teach. The minister of the gospel must be able to teach, but he must have all these graces. See, graces is more important than gifting in the church of Christ. More important. For those that have many, many gifts and few graces, and according to the word of God, they do not match up, therefore. All those seven verses that we read together. Give us that list. And so churches need mature spiritual men. If all men, if all, I'm talking spiritually men, they've grown up spiritually, they've been babes, they've been young men, they're growing up, they're ripening. Not growing in grace, but ripening in grace. If the church was full of them, why would Paul even write that? So all of your men are like that, you could say. No, all of our men should be like this whether they are in a church office or not. 
are to be ripening in grace. And as I touched upon, the anti-male feminist society that we are in is out to destroy men, at least masculinity, and I mean biblical masculinity, out to destroy it. Feminists want weak men, manipulable men, and may I say castrated men, and therefore unspiritual men, insecure men, but God desires godly men, men who have backbone, biblical men, strong leaders, humble leaders, leaders at home, leaders in the church, in society, not spineless boys, not bullying tyrants, but men, men who know to say no to themselves first of all, and then say no to their wives when necessary, and say no to others in society based upon the Scriptures, because that authority comes from the grace of God, from the Word of God. So as we open up verse 13 of 1 John 2, we consider the present knowledge that these men have. He says, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. So John is making it very clear that when he speaks at this moment, he's speaking to the fathers of the faith in the churches. Now, fathers might think themselves, in general, that they are way too old to learn new things. Not in the school of Christ. Not in the school of Christ. We must ever wax in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. We are to continually to grow. There's never a thing, well, I, I read that years ago, I don't need to read it again, or, or I, 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 I don't need to learn anything. That's not the sign of a mature, teachable spirit. That's the sign of an immature spirit that says, I don't need to learn. Imagine a child at school, the teacher says, open up your geography books, we're going to look at, oh, I don't need to learn about that. That's a sign of an immature and unteachable spirit. Fathers are to lead by example in being ever teachable and ever learning about Christ. If you think, if you think you've learned all about Christ in 20, 30, 40 years, let me say, you've not scratched the surface. We have an eternity before us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ and we have an eternity, we need an eternity to learn more about him that loved us and gave himself for us. We have that, we need it, and the Lord is giving it. And the apostle here is laying claim to the ears and the hearts and the minds of these fathers for Christ's sake. Why and how? Because the older men, they claim to have known the Lord for many years. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. You've known him for a long time. You must be fathers in the faith by now. They have knowledge of him. They have a head knowledge because of the preaching and their own studies. They have a heart knowledge because they're truly born again and they're walking with the Lord. Uh, they have a personal knowledge, therefore. And therefore, there is much in this letter, this first John, the five chapters that we have, that are necessary for fathers to know. That they may know, that they may apply it, that they may grow in it, that they would be the examples to teach. As we know, 
telling parents when you tell your children to do something you don't do it yourself it's a very little value it does not have that same value if you don't do what you say just imagine from a number of years ago I think I remember somebody uh, this is back home in Liverpool and this is a father you know sitting there smoking a cigarette you know taking it out and saying to his son don't you start don't you start smoking say well that's not a good example to tell him well yeah my father smoked I can smoke and so the hypocrisy continues he tells his children yeah don't take up the habit you'll never break it so the example has to be there the example has to be there not just the words of teaching but the example of living and so therefore fathers in our congregation fathers in the faith to be the prime example of being humbled by the word of being the first to say sorry the first to repent the first to be on their knees before the Lord example because you say that you have known the Lord all this time I trust you are listening I hope that you might even be taking notes as to fathers as you would work through this this one John uh, with us and that you would apply what you've understood and in the previous verses we've looked at and what we will by God's uh, will uh, in the, the remainder of this epistle so that you can apply it in your life because how else are you to grow and to become mature or I should say how else is your grace to be ripened a father is to be mature he's to take personal responsibility he is to take absolute responsibility of his family and what is a father to do he's to leave behind childishness he's to leave behind immaturity and that is so important and as, as I've already uh, pointed to that the world wants boys so the feminist world wants boys boys that they can dominate boys that they can manipulate but God wants men now Paul speaking of something else um, says this too so I'm taking it slightly out of context but the truth is here 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11 he says when I was a child I spake as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things fathers that's what we need to do we need to put away childish things immature thoughts immature words immature emotions immature reactions to be put away because not only are they a sign of of actual immaturity in your character in your emotions and your thoughts but they are an indication of spiritual immaturity and how will that change how will that change it will change by making use of the means of grace your personal desire and not just sitting passively by as the word goes over you but that, that the word would come in you would see Lord I'm not the father I should be I should be a father in the faith to my family I should be a father in the faith for the congregation that the Lord has put me in I should be mature and I should be mature so that my graces are not just growing but they're ripening they're becoming ripe becoming what God would have them to be you give a present to somebody and if it's still in the box it hasn't been utilized then it's of no use a gift is to be given is to be unpacked it's the instruction manual is to be read 
Now, that might come as a shock to a number of people, but the instruction manual is to be read, and you have to do these things, and then you have to make use of it and to grow in the skill of whatever it is. And so it is with grace. It is given, but it must be unpacked, as it were. It must be utilized. It must be strengthened. May I give the idea of a, of a, of a gift that you might give of a weight training set? Someone gives you a weight training set, let's just say a, a barbell and weights and a rack or something, and they give you that gift and, and they give it to you and it's still in the boxes two years later. All the weights are still packed away and the, and the cardboard tube is, all, is around the bar and it's still there, it's doing nothing, just shoved in the corner. It's of no use to you. But first of all is to unpack it. Put the rack together, you unpack everything, you put everything there, and then you start using it. And as soon as you start using it, are you able to bench press 450 pounds? Are you able to do all these things? No. But you work towards it. You've received grace, you've unpacked grace, you start using grace. Forgive me for the illustration, but you understand what I mean. And then growing in grace is by putting in that work. Are the, muscles, are the muscles getting stronger? Yes. Are they mature and ripe? No. Old man strength. That's a, that's a, that's a known quantity in, in, in the exercising world, in the martial arts world. You have young people, 21-year-old, 18-year-old, full of testosterone, full of adrenaline, and they come against this old man. They've got strength, yes. They're strong, but they haven't got old man strength. Because part of old man's strength is the building up of that exercising again and again and again. So they have a core that the young man doesn't. They have an ability. Although they might have a belly, they have the ability to do things. They've also had experience to frame. that They know that they don't have to be, be, so, be so tight and uptight about things and, and try to get through a three-minute bout that they can do. They've learned to relax and take their time and not waste their energy, whatever it might be. So there's a ripening. So that's just a, a human understanding of what it is, but that is what is necessary spiritually in fathers. Spiritually, receive the grace, unpack the grace, use the grace, mature, ripen in the grace. So that's the present knowledge, the walking with the Lord, the, the understanding the Lord. He says, I write unto your fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. You have known him. It's a, it's, a, it's a time of knowing him. And I write to you now. I write that present knowledge, that present experience that you have, fathers, because you've been walking with the Lord. You've been maturing because of the Lord. But he also talk, speaks of a past knowledge. Because you've noticed the, the language of verse 13 and verse 14 is at first sight almost the same. But it isn't. There's a subtle difference. This is one of the... This is one of the I use the word mark again. This is one of the marks of, of John's writing. This is how John writes. You know, like a preachers, different preachers have different styles of different doing things. Uh, John has different style from the other uh, writers of the New Testament. And this is one of them. So he says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him this from the beginning. And then in verse 14, he says, I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So, so, what, so what's he saying? Is he saying uh, uh, in verse 13, I, 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 I write unto you, that, that's what he's doing now, in writing this, this part of his letter. And then the next verse he says, you know, you know what I've just written? 
I, I wrote unto you. Is he saying that? No, he's not saying that. What has John written to them in the past? Not just one verse earlier. What has John written to them? His gospel account. He's written to the churches the gospel account, the Lord Jesus Christ, those, the, 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 those, those rich, theologically rich, and, and um, Christ-glorifying and, and intimate chapters. He's written to them. He's written to them of the Lord. He's written to them of the eternal Logos. He's written to him that came into the world who is all light and came to his own people. They rejected him and he lived in a world of spiritual darkness for 33 and say a half years. I was going to say he was dragged to the cross. No, he wasn't. He walked to the cross and died was risen again. So the whole of the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament and the earliest promises, the fulfillment of the Mosaic law, the forgiveness of sins, all those goats and those bulls and those doves and all the sacrifices and all those feast days, there it is with Jesus on the cross. I have written unto you, fathers, and you've known him because this is a gospel truth. A gospel truth and everything who is the Lord Jesus Christ. You've read about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your example, fathers. To be humble, meek, mature, bold, loving, compassionate. They're the fathers. The fathers are to be as Jesus is. As Jesus is revealed. So fathers in the faith have learned over many years of scriptural study, of being, of being sanctified by the Spirit of Jesus to themselves to be changed into that Christ-likeness. And it does take a long time. That's why, um, that's why those who are young in the faith are not to be elevated to office. Four, five, six, seven years. Now that's way too quick. Lest they fall into the condemnation of the devil, as we read in 1 Timothy 3. Do, you be, do not be not so quick to lay, lay, lay the hand upon someone, uh, Paul also says to Timothy. Because there needs to be a strengthening in the faith. They have to become strong, young men, and God willing, they become fathers. Young men are becoming fathers. Mature, ripe fathers. Of course, they do that by, first of all, getting married physically, naturally, getting married, having children. Yeah, and you're a, fa you're a father, of course, when your wife conceives, most especially when the, when the child is born. And then we have those 18 years, those 21 years. I think these days it's 34 years of the child being at home. But you have, you have this growing up with the child, but the father's growing up as well should be anyway, that the father is growing up and he's learning to say no to himself and the Lord helps with broken nights and having to get up in the morning, get to work on time in spite of the fact that you've been rocking the baby to sleep or, she's got, or the baby's got getting teeth or whatever it is, cramps. It's a blessed way that the Lord breaks us down from being ungodly men into godly men. The Lord blesses us through and by all these things. 
And so fathers in the faith, they have known the Lord a long time. They have been taught and broken and remade by the Scriptures, by the work of the Spirit, and even through the works of providence I was just talking about, becoming actual fathers. And all those things that work together for our good. So they can be changed. They have become what? They have become kinder. They have become more patient. They have become less easily offended. They have become humble. They have become more thinking of others instead of themselves. They have become more obedient. They have become more gracious. They have grown in grace and in Christ-likeness. So the childness, childlikeness of the Lord's people, the growth of spiritual fathers, and, and thirdly, the strength of spiritual young men. The strength of spiritual young men. And so young men then, the theme that we know, as I mentioned in the, in the, more clearly in the introduction last week, young men are to be growing in grace. Just like young men would, 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 would grow in their career. So they might start off at the bottom of the career ladder, the bottom of the salary ladder, and they would go up. They might change jobs, they may just carry on in that firm or whatever it is, maybe start their own firm, but there's a growth there. There's a growth, and that's what young men do. And they might buy a house, and then they've got enough money after a number of years, they've paid off enough of the mortgage, they go and buy a new house. Things improve. Or they might be getting into that weight training I was talking about before, and they literally grow in strength in that way. Whatever it is that young men are to grow in good things, in things that are a blessing to their wife, to their family. And, and when we think of the, uh, the church family, we think of growing in grace for the benefit of the church family. So the strength of spiritual young men, that we see firstly then the continuing strife. There's a continuing strife that we see in verse 13. He says, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. It's not a complete overcoming. They haven't overwon the wicked one. Haven't overcome him completely. But it says you have overcome him. How? By faith in the word of their testimony. There is a conquering of the wicked one, which is a fact. In Christ, they receive the victory of Christ over their sin. There is a victory over the devil. And that is, shall we say, that is a legal truth. But at the same time, they are to be constantly fighting. Constantly fighting their own flesh, the world, and the devil. Just briefly coming back, how have these young Christian men that we're reading of here, how have they overcome the wicked one? Is a good question. Yeah, I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. How have they overcome him? Well, by the rebirth, we're going back maybe to basics now, that's fine. By the rebirth that produces saving faith. John says this later on in chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. True sa- these men have true saving faith and they're growing in faith. Secondly, by the indwelling Spirit of Christ... In chapter 4 and verse 4 of the same letter. So John's explaining to us as we carry on reading the letter. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
So it's not their work, it's the work of the Spirit in them, but the work of the Spirit increases in them, waxes in them, grows in them by the work of Christ, but also by their obedience to the command of Christ. Not saying, uh, I'm talking about now growing in grace is the context. And by obedience to holiness. Obedience to holiness. Romans 12 and verse 21, he says this, Be not overcome of evil. Be not conquered by evil, in other words. But overcome evil with good. Obedience to holiness. Now we must examine ourselves. Young men, you must examine yourselves to see what you read in the Word. As you, as you read the Word yourself, as you open up the Bible with your wife and with your family, and there are words in there that, 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 that would prod you, that would not make you feel good about yourself. Well, that's good. Because these are challenges from God Himself that you would change. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is what is so vital that we do so. this young man's strength to overcome evil. The question then, young men, how totally submitted are you to Christ? How totally submitted are you to Christ? The more you are submitted to Christ, the more you overcome the evil one. In your walk, because the flesh is rotten, the example of the world is even maybe just as rotten, and the devil is out to destroy you. Well, one practical application of being submitted to Christ and overcoming the wicked one more is to continue to come to hear what John says. Study what John will write in this epistle so that you are to grow even more in wisdom, in humility and, and grace so that you would then become the fathers we're talking about. You must receive grace and that grace must be lived out, that it be ripened in you. And therefore, young men, you are to be wise and humble and gracious now, that that would be ripened as you grow in Christ. So there's a continuing strife. It's, 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 it's complete victory in Christ, but in, in your walk in life, there must be that constant fighting against sin, against the devil, against the world. The continuing strife, but secondly, the firm foundation. The firm foundation, 1 John 2 and verse 14, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So again, I'm referring, he says, I have written unto you, as he said, I have written unto the fathers. In other words, he's, he's pointing to that work that he has written to them previously to this, and we understand what, what has John previously written. It is the gospel according to John. We know that he will well yet write two more letters, but, but they, uh, and then the book of Revelation. But that's not what he's referring to what he has already written to them. And he says that you young men, you young men, you are Bible students. You open the Bible, you read it, you study it, and therefore you should teach it at home to your families. Family worship is a vital expression for young men, young Christian men. And if you haven't got any children, you're still a family together with your wife. That you would read the scriptures, you'd understand them so that you're not just looking and think, I have no idea what that means. But you have done some study, you've done some understanding. It doesn't have to be the deepest discourse ever, 
that you would read and understand so that you can teach your wife and as the Lord is pleased to grant children that you would teach your children at their level as they grow up and you bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and having read and studied the gospel and the word of God yourself young men it's strengthened you it has strengthened you you have become strong and the word of God is not just a religious thing it's not just something that you carry around in, 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 in this, 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 this book of the Christians, but the Word abides in you. It lives in you. You think on it. You, you meditate on it. You may even memorize some of it, but it has an effect in your life. You're changed by it. And the Word of God has ultimate authority over your lives. It has absolute authority over your lives and therefore young men do not hold on to foolish hobby horses uh, in theology be balanced believers the whole counsel of God should be your food you should read from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation you should read through the scriptures you should understand it don't just harp on about your understanding of the millennium there's much more of the counsel of God than just these small matters you might have an interest that's fine you might have a, a specialism but you must have all of the counsel of God let me warn you against unbalanced YouTube theology or whatever it is found or even or even and I'll say this, or even being taught theology by your wife. You are to be the leader in the home. You are to be the theologian in your home. Wonderful that women are theologians. Wonderful that women will study the Bible and be Bible students. But the father, the man, the young man, the young father is to be a student of theology. And it, Paul says that. Paul warns Timothy. He says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Young man, that's for you. That's for you. Don't be passive when it comes to scriptures and theological matters. Do not be passive. Do not sit there and, and let your wife put on your trousers, as it were. You are to be the spiritual man at home. You are to be the spiritual father. You see, I'm sure the ladies, and the young, young ladies, older ladies, might say to me, no, it's just been all about the men. It's true. It has been about men. He's speaking to men. Little children would speak to everybody, of course, as you, as you would read the Greek and understand that's all children. But he is pointing, pointing to young men, and he is speaking to fathers in the faith. And there's a reason for that because there must be good leadership but there must also be those that are willing to be led. And that's what that, and now we can come to the ladies. Because the woman is to learn from the man and not the other way around. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 11 Paul says this, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now, if there's one thing that goes absolutely against the flow of the feminist uh, in these days in the feminist society we are in and the feminism that's in every woman's bosom, because feminism we read of in Genesis 3, who is it that starts the theological debate with the devil? E Eve. Well, he speaks to her and she answers. If she had, if she had learnt in silence with all subjection, 
and said, Adam, this is for you, maybe it had been different. But she was deceived. He wasn't. He allowed it to happen. He was a passive male. And she was being manly in her activity in this regard. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And Paul then continues in the next verse. He says, But I suffer not, I do not allow a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So as I mentioned, the female sinful nature is not happy to hear this at all. The born-again nature does desire a godly order. But then we have this strife. We have this friction. There is a desire, well, the Lord says so, and I should like it, but the fleshly nature says, no. My husband's an ignorant fool. I have to do these things. He's not active the way I think he should be active. Yeah, he's, My image of husband is not being fulfilled. Well, he was made in the image of God, not in the image of wife. But that last point is a very strong one. But the born-again nature, as it is informed by the Scriptures, does desire a godly order in marriage, in the household, and in the congregation. But therefore, that the woman does not usurp authority over the man. The man must take up his authority. It is often so often, it is unfortunately so often the case that men do not stand as men, and the women see the lack, and they think, well, if he's not going to do it, I'd better do it. They fill the vacuum created by lazy, passive, distracted men. Therefore, men, take your role. Take the lead in family prayer and devotions. Lead in reading, singing, and praying. And as we've already read, lead by example. You can't say that you've overcome the wicked one, young men, if there is no godly order in your family. The man is to be the head of the wife. The wife is to be submitted to the man. And the children are to honor their father and their mother. And that biblical family structure is what the devil is out to destroy in a thousand different ways. He works through the children. The children are to be, as far as the devil's concerned, not honoring their parents, not obedient, giving them back chat and not doing what they're told. That's the devil working through your children to destroy the marriage, to destroy the godly structure of a family. We've already looked at the mothers and the fathers, so now we're just throwing the children into the mix to understand that there is to be a godly biblical order in family, in marriage. And that is so essential then for father, mother, and children. What James says in James 4 and verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from your family for a time until the next temptation. But by then, you've done a few spiritual shoulder presses. You're getting stronger, men and women and children. Strong young Christian men, can I say this, are the future fathers of the church. I think I can just wait and I'll gradually, as I physically get older, of course I'll spiritually get more mature. That's nonsense. You must be spiritually strong men now and, and, and walk with the Lord and, and endeavor to become more uh, gracious so that you will become ripe men 
fathers of the church. Oh, we need them. Because the young men now, even you young boys, to grow up in the faith and to become strong young men. For we need them. They are the future deacons. They are the future elders. They are the future ministers. They are the future missionaries. So women, please. And it's so easy to do so, just to follow the, 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 the way of the world. What is the way of the world? Well, it hates men. And it's man-dominating. So women, do not undermine your husband's authority at home. That's especially in relation to the children. Do not dominate your husband. But be what you were created to be. His helper. Meet for his needs. Ephesians 5 and verse 22 says this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And as you would read those verses, you would realize that this is the Christ-likeness of the woman. To be submitted to her husband, to her head, as Christ, as the God-man, is submitted to his Father. Not that the Son of God is lower than the Father. That's not what I said. I said the mediator, the God-man, having taken on our flesh, has submitted himself to the Father as our example, and ladies, as your great example. And it's not that he agrees with you first, or he does what he says first, because that's not submission. That's agreement. And that doesn't mean that you can't give advice. Absolutely. You know, in Christ, and as human beings, we stand absolutely side by side. And yet the Lord has put that order in there. And this society has gone the way of other societies. Where there is... And it begins with the men. The men firstly castrate themselves. Then the women help them. And then the Sodomites come in, and then it gets further and further. It's how Rome fell. It's how big civilizations fall. Yeah, we might think there's a great battle, and then, the, and then these, the Visigoths come in, and, and they take over. Yeah, they come in because they're corrupted. Why is China doing so well? In, well, it's doing very badly, actually, fortunately. But, but, but China is doing so well in its influence in the world because the Western Christian democracies have become so rotten. You get something rotten, the floorboard, good solid oak floorboard will support the weight of families for generations, but it becomes rotten. It doesn't take much for it to be pushed through. In fact, in fact, it doesn't take much. It doesn't need an elephant to walk on it to break them. Just a normal human being can stand on it and it will break through because it has become rotten. It has become corrupted. And so it is the case with families and with churches. Oh dear, with the churches. So young ladies, and maybe not so young ladies, your husband is to grow, in, is to grow into your spiritual father. He's to be your spiritual father, he's to be the spiritual father to the children, and eventually a spiritual father to the congregation of Christ. And what has been said about men, we could say about women, about that need to receive the grace and, grow, and, and become strong in the grace and become mothers because there is a, an invital place, not only in families, but in the church for godly mothers within the God-given roles and the responsibilities that are there. So their need to become the children of God by the rebirth, of course, means, remains the same. 
their own family and the church's need for them to grow in grace, in spiritual maturity, become those spiritually strong women, ripening into gracious mothers, not being worldly, moving into verse 15, but we'll come back from that now, but not being worldly. And of course, we will examine what that means when we get to it. It's not a blessing to a congregation to have immature fathers and immature mothers. We need gracious, mature, ripe. And it's not something, and if, you, and if you're hearing this now, it's not something you can just do overnight, and it's certainly not something you can do with a front. It's not, I'm not talking about a mask. How strong and thick is your religious mask? That's not what I'm saying. It's not what the Word is saying. How much grace is there? Now, if you see that there's not much grace, then we go the way of repentance and faith. Lord, I am not as mature as I should be, and that should be everyone's prayer anyway. I am not spiritually mature. I am not the father, the mother, or the young, strong man as I should be. God, give me grace. Give me mercy. Give me mercy. And Christ commands the, the apostle when we're speaking about the mature, uh, gracious ladies, which doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you're old, you're mature and gracious. As I said, they're two different, different things. One would hope that they were the same. Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, as purity. Not false accusers. That would include all the things like slander and gossip. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober. See, he would not have them to have authority over the man, but over the younger women. And certainly he's not talking about the pulpit, by the way. But they would teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So a godly mother teaching a godly young woman how to be godly said he had nothing about theoretical theology, but all about practical Christianity. To be sober. That is to be, have self-control in all aspects of life. To love their husbands, and number one there, to love their husbands, to love their children, secondly. You're firstly married to your husband, ladies, before you receive children, if you receive children. And that is also the order Firstly, your husband, then you have the children. We know that the, the world reverses that. That you would receive, that you would have your husband, and then you have your children, and then your life revolves around your, cho your children, and your husband becomes second or third in the list, and then the children grow up and go away, and you're living with a stranger in your own house. And you have not submitted yourself to him. A lot has been said. A lot has been pulled out and related to this verse. A lot of it is a challenge to us all, whether you're a babe in Christ, whether you're a strong young man or woman in the faith, whether you're a ripening father or mother. We need them all. You must, you must be, whatever stage you are in grace, and again, that's not related to your age. It's not even related to how long you've been a professing Christian. It should be, but it isn't. So where you are, with the Lord, whether you're just still a newborn and, 
and, and maybe have difficulties with trusting the Lord. Well, that may even suggest that you still need to be born, but that you need to be born, you need to become strong in the Lord, and you need to ripen in grace unto the Lord. And that's what the church needs. Mature, maturing Christians, fathers, mothers. May God grant us all grace in order to enter into a state of grace. Children, you need to come to the Lord. Children, you need to come to the Lord. You need to repent of your sins. You need to come to the Lord. Young men and women, you must grow in grace. Fathers and mothers, may God grant you grace to mature in grace. Lest our religion be fruitless, lest our religion be dead, and we seek the glory for ourselves instead of becoming shining trophies of God's grace to the glory of Jesus Christ. May God help us. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word and the many, many challenges to all of us at different levels. Thou knowest, O Lord, that the flesh would refuse all of this, the flesh of man and woman and boy and girl, We will naturally reject this because we're naturally godless and we want to bring glory to ourselves. And yet we know that it is thy desire that we would bring glory to Christ who will bring glory to the Father. And so, Lord, we pray for that grace that we cannot resist. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit that will break us, humble us, and enable us to glorify Jesus. Not with lip service, but with a changed, matured life, that we would be of spiritual use in the flock of Christ. Will thou help us, Lord, even against our will, change our will, that we would desire all that we've considered this morning to the glory of Christ and to the good of his flock. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing uh, hymn is hymn 182. Hymn 182. To him that loved the souls of men and washed us in his blood, to royal honors raised our head and made us priests to God. We'll sing the four verses of hymn 182. Remain standing at the end for the benediction, please.
benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.